Topical cream, a pod listener's dream. Unfucking the news and current events. Topical cream, yeah, you know what I mean. A quarter of an hour gets you our two cents. Topical cream. In the newsletter this week, I wrote about the mock proceedings of COP28 in the UAE, a climate conference presided over by the president of an oil and gas company already accused of hacking into conference organizers' emails and leveraging said conference to set up sales opportunities for new oil and gas leases. If that wasn't obvious and ridiculous enough, in a Q&A session, the Sultan, that's the president of the company, lambasted the interviewer for suggesting the world phase out fossil fuels, saying it would drive humanity back into caves. In the past, global conferences have had a positive impact on the world in terms of raising awareness and coordinating efforts between major industrialized nations to set future targets for carbon reduction. Promises are made to hit certain benchmarks. Funds are set aside to facilitate clean energy production in transitions in emerging markets, and plans are made to build out resilient infrastructure in low-lying areas of the world. Diplomats fly in on private jets from all over the world with parameters set forth from their governments as to how far they're allowed to commit, and white papers are produced and promptly ignored as we sail into oblivion. And last night, I watched part of the Republican sideshow debate, sans the fascist frontrunner, and was treated to the closing statement from Vivek Ramaswamy, who once again declared that the capstone initiative of his presidency would be the elimination of all policies and agencies designed to prop up the climate agenda hoax. This was met with applause. Now forget the fact that primary debates are meant to be outrageous and that Ramalama Ding Dong has as much chance of sitting in the Oval Office as, well, Chris Christie. It was the applause that killed me. And I get it, I honestly do. Trying to make sense of the narratives and counter-narratives espoused by experts and non-experts alike is dizzying. The problem here is that the people in charge of the narratives are the ones with the most to gain or lose by promoting them one way or another, and their positions are dependent upon prevailing conditions that suit their pocketbooks primarily. Allow me to illustrate. When inflation was peaking throughout the world, the term greenflation became a popular talking point among the corporate class and even some policymakers. For example, the European Central Bank declared last year that the war in Ukraine was a dark reminder of the need to break from fossil fuel dependency, but that there were economic risks to be weathered in the short term. Stiff upper lip and all that. Here's what they said, quote, there's a price to be paid for going green at a pace that reflects the dual objective of safeguarding both our planet and our right to self-determination. But that price, including the fiscal support required to protect the most vulnerable members of society, is worth paying. As we build a more sustainable economy, we face a new age of energy inflation with three distinct but interrelated shocks that can be expected to lead to a prolonged period of upside pressure on inflation." End quote. Remember that most NGOs and climate organizations were promoting the idea that economies of scale would bring down the cost to produce technologies like wind and solar and batteries at scale. Within a determined amount of time, it would become cheaper to produce renewable energy than to burn fossil fuels. And yet, 
Here was the ECB joining with the ranks of the fossil fuel industry to say that going green is still expensive and would lead to even more inflation. So what happened? The opposite. Goldman Sachs recently released a report that spoke to the collapse in lithium battery prices that have forced EV companies, battery producers, and mining operations into a bear market. Demand growth decreased, but it's still important to note that demand is still increasing. All the while, supply chains were loosening up, subsidies decreased, and lithium costs dropped like a fucking stone, thereby obliterating the whole notion of greenflation. And that's just one example because this trend carries through to solar manufacturing as well. All right, where are you going with all this? My point is that the story goes where the wind blows. Last year, the headline was inflation. So the corporate propaganda machine went into full swing to fearmonger around greenflation. Ah, windmills kill birds and cause cancer. Exactly. The oligarchy takes whatever scares you the most at that moment and attaches it to a globally coordinated propaganda campaign to ensure that you don't believe your lying eyes. Now, windmills causing cancer was an invention of Donald Trump just live on the stage, and it resonated with the crowd in front of him, but everybody else realized that he was just really fucking ridiculous and nobody paid attention to that. But you get my point. It's cognitive dissonance on a global scale that makes you accept things like having an oil and gas executive lead the world's foremost conference on climate change. And the biggest lie they tell you is that there's nothing that can be done. We'll have to adopt bridge fuels. It has to be done in stages. Fuck shared sacrifice. It's every person for themselves. We'll figure it out with technology. America is the worst actor in all of this. A study suggested that we should look to ways to phase out gas stoves from multifamily dwellings because the emissions from gas stoves might release carcinogens. And people lost their fucking minds. Activists try to empower the public by suggesting we eliminate plastic straws so they don't get stuck in turtles' asses and noses. Something tangible that can make you feel good that your venti chai latte wasn't going to give a turtle a chai enema somewhere down the waste stream. And people lost their fucking minds. But it wasn't always this way. There was a time that we believed in scientists. A time when policymakers worked with scientists and activists to fix shit. The last time it happened on a global scale was in a decade known for anything but selflessness. In the news, weakness in our protective atmosphere. Way up high, an unseen layer of ozone gas protects us from the sun's burning rays. But that protection has a weak spot. We'll be back with Ozone in the News. This medical news update is brought to you by Advil, advanced medicine for pain. The ozone layer shields the earth from the sun's ultraviolet rays. But a recent report concluded that this layer is thinning rapidly due to trace gases primarily CFCs in consumer products. And the CFC damage is dangerous because each 1% decline in the ozone layer could bring as many as 5% more skin cancers. After a hole is discovered in the ozone layer, Americans are discouraged from using aerosol products such as hairspray. Some take the news harder than others. For more of the 80s, stay tuned to Nick at Night. As a child of the 80s, I can tell you that there were three existential threats that we were all made to fear. Nuclear war with Russia, a hole in the ozone, and the biggest one. Hey, Charlie, mm -hmm. let me ask you something. Mm. What is it 
That's not exactly water, mm -hmm. and it ain't exactly Earth. Not many of us wound up encountering quicksand, and then Billy Joel played a concert in Leningrad and solved the Cold War. But the hole in the ozone layer was a universal science lesson we all received on the news, in pop culture, and television shows. It was a really big deal. At some point, the conversation shifted to rising sea levels, climate change, hurricanes, wildfires, and natural disasters. Now, was the hole in the ozone layer still a problem? Was it responsible for all of this stuff? No one was talking. This is a conspiracy. That's what this is. One big damn conspiracy! And everyone's in on it! The scientific consensus, no matter what Ramasmarmi or any other climate-denying chuckleheads out there say, is that human activity is negatively impacting the environment and causing changes in the climate. No shit, Sherlock! The hole in the ozone layer was really one of the first times the world's scientists came together to warn us of a very specific threat related to such activity. Here's an excerpt from the National Oceanic and Atmospheric Administration, NOAA, that best describes the moment. Quote, In the 1970s, scientists, including several experts from the NOAA, discovered that an important function of the stratosphere performed by ozone was impaired by persistent industrial chemicals known as chlorofluorocarbons, or CFCs. These chemicals led to the destruction of ozone molecules and depleted the layer that protects all life on Earth. One key concern was the large hole which was opening in the ozone layer each year over Antarctica. Stratospheric ozone, which is found about 7 to 25 miles above the Earth, protects life on the Earth's surface from the harmful effects of ultraviolet radiation, including skin cancer and weakened immune systems in humans. It also enables healthy ecosystems and productive agriculture. Atmospheric scientists identified the actions that humans were taking to cause the stratospheric ozone depletion. Chlorine and bromine, released by the breakdown of CFCs, were particularly problematic. The 1987 Montreal Protocol phased out production and use of these and other substances that deplete ozone." End quote. Now think about the timing here. Discovered in the 1970s, and a protocol to combat this trend was agreed upon and implemented in the next decade. In the 1980s, during the Reagan era. Not exactly a time in American history one would closely associate with science and environmentalism. A PBS documentary explored the miraculous turn of events that drew the U.S. government into the treaty, considering it wasn't really inclined to do so at first. In fact, the documentary showed how Reagan's Secretary of the Interior, Donald Hodel, suggested that instead of a treaty, Americans should just wear sunscreen. Now, that's more like what one would expect these fucknuggets to say. Some suggest that Reagan's love of the outdoors and discovery of a cancerous growth on his face shifted his attitude. The more likely story is that the manufacturing industries responsible for products that emitted CFCs had already been developing alternatives and were close to bringing them to market. The government set a date certain in the future to phase out CFCs and eventually added hydrofluorocarbons, or HFCs, found in refrigerants to the mix as they too were found to be part of the problem. And guess what? What? Scientists studying climate change in Antarctica reported this week that the hole in the protective ozone layer of the Earth's atmosphere has shrunk. That's right! And that clip was from seven years ago on PBS. So that all sounds like great news. 
we can finally check off ozone layer and quicksand. Unfortunately, the Russians continue to present a threat, so we'll miss the trifecta. Also, and this is important, remember that this was the 1980s. One of the primary products that spewed CFCs into the atmosphere was aerosol sprays. Oh my God, hairspray. Well, they eliminated hairspray in the 80s and the world didn't come to an end. And there you have it. If we can get rid of hairspray cans in the 80s, we can do anything. Listen, there are a couple of lessons to glean from this. Before we get to them, it's important to know that as wonderful as it was to see a reversal by the Reagan administration, it took nearly the entire two terms to get there. In fact, as environmental journalist Eugene Linden wrote in an LA Times op-ed, quote, between 1978, when the Carter administration was moving toward phase-out, and 1988, just before the Montreal Protocol went into force, some 19 billion pounds of CFCs were produced. Like carbon dioxide molecules, CFCs have a life in the atmosphere that is measured in decades. And so for years after the treaty was ratified, the ozone hole continued to grow. It was only in 2017, nearly 30 years after the protocol signing, that scientists detected that the ozone hole was beginning to shrink. Sometime after 2050, they estimate, the ozone layer will return to normal. We don't know how much smaller the ozone hole would have been had the world banned CFCs in 1978." End quote. The delay was due to coordinated industry lobbying led by DuPont, the largest manufacturer of CFCs at the time. They pressured the Reagan administration to hold on making any commitments until they had sufficiently developed alternatives. And by the time public pressure made this an embarrassment, DuPont was ready to go and drop their resistance to the treaty. So no, Reagan was no hero in this scenario. But the key takeaway here is that public pressure campaigns were mounting because citizens and journalists alike believed the science. And corporate industries who were working on alternatives had time to catch up and ensure that they would maintain their dominance with replacement products. So here are the key takeaways and lessons from the success of the Montreal Protocol. First off, public pressure is important. It still means something to politicians and to the corporations who try to greenwash their activities. After all, they wouldn't bother greenwashing if it didn't matter, right? Secondly, it's important to have a Democrat in the White House who actually gives a shit about the environment and is willing to stand up to corporate lobbying influences. And I only say Democrat because it sure as shit isn't coming from the Republican side, but it obviously matters which Democrat. And here's the uncomfortable part. We can only do this in partnership with corporate America because we're out of time and options. Do I have grander visions of breaking up monopolies, getting money out of politics, chipping away at the deleterious aspects of corrupt capitalist practices, overthrowing the Democratic Party from the inside to wrest control of the political apparatus, and push for hard and near-term deadlines to force a major overhaul to the protein manufacturing and fossil fuel industries? Yes. Yes to all counts. But think of the DuPont example. While we're battling for control in the United States, we actually need our mega corporations to succeed in transitioning their business models through whatever incentives are possible. See, I don't give a shit if ExxonMobil becomes the largest renewable energy player in the world. Don't care if Coke Industries decides to abandon harmful chemical agents in their portfolio of companies. It doesn't matter who gets it done, so long as it gets done. And the way to get there is by electing progressives who understand the existential threat posed by climate change and the economics of the current system 
that requires massive government intervention in favor of companies willing to transition away from bad practices. As disgusting as it is to contemplate lining the pockets of the megacorporations, we need to make a deal with the devil to save the planet first. Then we can break them up and tax the living shit out of them and get our money back. It's the end of the episode where we used to do show notes. Now we just talk through a few things. Reflect on what was said or what we should have done instead. Oh, post-show musings. Hey, y'all. I don't normally do a post-show musings at the end of a topical cream, but I wanted to talk to you for a second. I have about a week or so to kind of get my poop in a group. We all want our poop in a group. So I'm thinking that barring a phone a friend or some other intervention here, we're probably going to take a week off next week. And we talked about this in show notes, but I just wanted to kind of give everybody a heads up of what we're doing. So we have the new membership tiers kind of shifting around to offer new benefits and really flesh those out. And it's going to be wrapped into the launch of a brand new website with way more resources on it. We also have an announcement about a new partnership in the new year to build out our content profile and to flesh out the newsletter specifically. More on that in a second. What we're aiming toward here is a full service news organization and content delivery structure that includes the podcast, interviews, YouTube videos, website articles, and a twice weekly newsletter. Yes, twice. The one you get now is going to remain free, but we're adding a second one with all new and different content as a perk to members of any tier, among some other benefits. That's just a glimpse into how this little thing of ours is really growing up. So listen, this is just me and you now, okay? My goal is to build this into a vibrant news and information organization that arms progressives with resources and information that they need. This all takes time and money, so the memberships are mission critical, and I hate doing this, I really do. This is very uncomfortable, but between the memberships, the merchandise purchases, coffee purchases, becoming a regular sustaining purchaser of the coffee, let's say, and shopping in our bookstore, all of these different avenues to help us monetize the show and this effort are just so critical to sustaining our growth. And we're really working overtime to ensure that the juice is more than worth the squeeze. So when we launch the new site and the tiers, we're going to reach out to everyone to get involved. And we're going to ask each one of you to help spread the word as well. So it doesn't always have to be a financial contribution, even though that is kind of the most important thing that we need. So whether you're spreading the word about free newsletter signups, like encouraging as many people to come and just get the free newsletter so we can begin to talk to them. That would be great. Likes and shares on our YouTube, leaving us reviews in your podcast apps, sharing our information in our episodes on social media, and all out unfucking blitz to help us break through to the next level. And I'll be honest with you. My eyes are bigger than my wallet right now with these new changes, so it's kind of going to take all of us to get there. But if you can see your way clear to doing it and supporting us at the next level, I would really, really appreciate it because I do think we have the opportunity to build something really special. So that's it. Hope you enjoyed this topical cream. Again, you might not hear a full episode next week, just kind of depending on all the things that we have to do to get these resources up and running. But I'm super excited to show you. I think you're really going to dig what we're building out, and you're really going to be impressed by the work that's been done. So that's it for now on Fuckers, and I'll catch you on the flip side.